Welcome to Talking Infrastructure, the fortnightly podcast brought to you by global infrastructure company ACOM. In this series, we'll be discussing the hot topics, key projects and innovations that are helping to solve some of the world's most complex infrastructure challenges. Hello and welcome to Talking Infrastructure. My name's James Banks and I'm Head of External Relations in Europe, the Middle East and Africa for ACOM. Today's podcast is taking a closer look at the subject of modular construction. Far from a new concept, it's had many different names over the years. Prefabrication, modular building, design for manufacture and assembly, or off-site construction. The list goes on. The idea of constructing buildings away from the site where they will eventually stand has a long history dating back hundreds of years. To discuss that history, the future of modular, and all things in between, I'm joined by three experts on the subject. My first guest is Challenge Director at Innovate UK, Sam Stacey. A passionate driver of change in the construction industry, Sam is leading the Transforming Construction Challenge, a £170 million research and innovation investment to create new construction processes and techniques for building manufacture in the UK. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. My next guest is Andrew Partridge, an associate partner at Rogers, Sturk, Harbour and Partners. Andrew is involved in much of the research and development done by the practice, including his award-winning work investigating how modern methods of manufacture can be used in housing design. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. And finally, we have ACOM's Chief Growth Officer, Pete Flint. Pete is responsible for driving forward high-growth opportunities across EMEA, including digital transformation, workplace and environmental contracting, and, of course, the reason we're here today, the adoption of off-site manufacturing techniques for buildings. Welcome, Pete. Good day. Good day, indeed. Before we get onto the, the meat of the podcast, it's worth noting that normally we record these podcasts in the office in, in Oldgate, but today we've had a little trek down the road to our, our prototype of our off-site modular housing solution in Lewisham. First of all, Sam, I'm going to start with you, if that's all right. Let's talk a little bit about the history and, and how we've got to where we are today with modular construction. You know, we've moved on a lot from post-war prefab housing, haven't we? Yeah, I think, I think the term prefab is misleading. It comes with a lot of baggage. We're talking now about manufacturing approaches to creating fantastic quality, almost unprecedented quality of buildings at really affordable prices. So there are all sorts of techniques that we can draw on from other industries and actually have been demonstrated and sort of bubbling away within our industry to do things really, really effectively using these manufacturing approaches. And Pete, how did we end up with ACOM getting involved and, and working with RSHP on this prototype and the pipeline that is, that is opening up in front of us, hopefully? I think we've always been obsessing with trying to address challenges from clients of doing things better, doing things faster. I'd say smarter. I, I avoid trying to say the cheaper in this space. But, but you know, money does make a lot of difference to client decision-making. We're obviously a unique mix of skills. We've got all aspects of designers, engineers, cost managers, that type of thing. But one of the things that you know, our partnership with RSHP goes back a long time and, and we're really proud of the work that we've been doing together. This is something we own together. This is something we've evolved. Um, it started with earlier off-site projects, but 
We've not been happy there. We've been working on that. I think over the last few years, some of the some of the big things is that, you know, getting into this as a digital designer has been a big step change because that allows us to design to, in British terms, level five. So basically we're doing design for manufacturing details. So this is well beyond shop drawings. This is at one-to-one, every screw, uh, every it was, bulb. It was doing the, the show flat that actually was the thing that formed the collaboration. Actually doing one and actually seeing how it goes together. There's so many lessons learned from just doing this one. When, when we go into the pipeline and do multiple projects, the lessons learned will be tremendous. Absolutely. And so the other big, I think, step change over the last few years is we got pretty proud of what we were doing from a design engineering perspective, but we were really struggling to understand how we get this manufactured. There wasn't a supply chain readily there who would take our designs at that level and would, would deliver it. So we were talking with one of the manufacturers who Andrew's been working with for 15, 16 years in John Green. And we got to the point where we said, well, actually, we need to employ John in-house. And, and we did. And that was the start of ACOM actually building its own manufacturing assembly capability. And the first bit of that then was really to inform what we thought was a pretty good design and took it much, much further. And we learned so many lessons. And, and, and even in the prototype now, the, the show apartment, where we thought it was a bulletproof design, we, we learned about 500, 550 little tweaks to the model, where John and his team built it as we designed it and engineered it, and we learned five, six, and that's the whole and isn't it great? Isn't that absolutely fantastic? No, you're capturing all these lessons, and then you're baking it in. You're not forgetting them, no. throwing it out, and no, 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 starting from scratch again. It's, it's wonderful, because you become more efficient, and you deliver better and better quality, and some this isn't a bad house, is it? No, it's a great, yeah, it's a great house. Yeah. So, the, so the next prototype, the number of little issues was down to a bit over a dozen. And it's not only just taking out those issues, but... John and the guys are, my God, they're frugal. Every screw counts. They obsess. I mean, this is amazing because it's assembly mentality, not traditional build mentality. They obsess around everything. Every screw has a place. It's not like the Ikea at home, James, where you've got bits left over. There's, no, there's nothing left over. But there's the waste and everything has been timed. I mean, we know not only to the nearest millimetre, what goes into one of these, we know exactly how many minutes it takes to assemble as well, stage by stage. And, I mean, my, I was a failed quantity survey many years ago. I have never seen detail behind this. But all those efficiencies will pass on to the, the client end user, which is absolutely fantastic yeah. thing about this process. So it's really 360 consultancy and assembly. It's fantastic. Bear in mind, just on the waste point, bear in mind, the average house is produced with 10 cubic metres of materials being carted away in a skip. I mean, clearly, you would not have had that here. It would have been a carrier bag full of waste, probably. So they're so obsessed. What we have is packaging, and they're now working on the recycling of that. Yeah. On the assembly point, all the workers you know, on the thing have recyclable trays to, for their luncheon. So you know, it's quite fascinating. It's gone all the way through the system. What I'm interested in is just the scalability of this. So, you know, we're talking about collaboration that you've done here, but essentially what you've demonstrated is that a system exists that can be massively scalable and can really mobilise an enormous range of skills that perhaps wouldn't have been uh, made the best of previously. 
Yeah, I think very exciting is the fact that with all that lessons that we've been talking about, we, we've got a process to create a production line of around 24 staff, which can produce ultimately a module a day on a single shift. And we can then duplicate that. And that gives us a scaling ability. And, and when you say a module a day, we're talking about something 95% finished, you know, a couple of millimetre tolerance almost snag-free in the factory environment. And we can repeat that and we can do that in other places. One of the benefits of the diverse team we have in, in ACOM, we, we had some of our guys in the uh, process and automation team look at this process. They've never built a house before, they didn't understand it, but the learning we got out of that sort of different mentality, looking at it, they're talking about tack times, they're talking about different sort of methodology in in a real additive way. And again, you know, it's, it's just by doing that, we went to Sheffield AMRC for their advice. They looked at the process and we got advice from that as well. And we're constantly learning and evolving and really trying to get that balance between very high design quality, but optimization. And, and so sort of keeping it simple, isn't it? That's the whole thing. And you can have the whole team in one room. You keep it simple that way. That point about design quality, I think, is absolutely crucial because there are definitely a lot of people out there who associate the kind of construction we're talking about, modular or uh, platform design or, or what have you, modern methods, with a negative connotation, some sort of, you know, tacky products. But I'm absolutely confident that this is the way to produce better buildings, lovelier buildings, better performing buildings for everybody. Consistent and quality, I think, for everyone is, is the real badge behind yeah. all of this, I think. Is there an issue here around the terminology? And I, and I would like to quickly take a slightly step back and, and look at the terms that we use when we're, we're discussing yeah. this. We've got, we've got off-site, we've got modular, we've got modern methods of construction. Are people confused? Are confusing... Uh, information they all, they all come with their own baggage and I don't think there's real a real name for this really I think we can say that it's made can be made off-site but it could be made on-site so if we've got enough units it's really a difficult one to name I like manufacturing approaches mm -hmm. you know there is a wide range and one of the, the the joys of what we're seeing here is it's made in a flexible way you can assemble right next to the site you can assemble a little way away and, and bring the modules down the road there is flexibility built into the system so it's manufacturing approaches and that uh, it's right that that encompasses a large range of possibilities. So why are we doing this? What are the advantages? Why are we trying to move forward and embrace these new, well, not new, but why are we now embracing them? It's about time, frankly. Um, this is quite transformative and we can look at a development programme and almost take half the time away. We can go so quick, but we're so quick with a better quality product, which is getting towards that snag-free environment. Uh, there are safety benefits of doing it in the way, in assembling in a factory condition as opposed to a traditional upper scaffold in the environment. Amazing benefits on that, on waste. There are so many different proposition uh, value benefits in the way we're looking at this. One of the really clever things of having the manufacturer mindset around the detail, we've worked really hard looking at where do traditional buildings fail? Where do we have problems? And then we actually then over-engineer, as it were, to yeah. provide a more throughput, a more thorough solution. So the tanking, um, you can't sort of visually see it on a, on this, but, it, you know, looking around here and looking at the details, looking at where things 
fail or get tired. And the design approach to actually think about that at concept stage and build in details which really work, which are robust. Um, we're in a social and affordable apartment here and it is really, really tough. The finishes that we've provided are really tough, gorgeous looking, but tough, but we can we can come in and change them as well. It's got a flexibility. So it's really been thought with the end in mind. Yeah, that's that sort of mass customization potential of this, I think is an interesting point because you know it's not boring. You can configure in all sorts of different ways and you can make sure that all the parts of that system are beautifully engineered. So, you know, it, it kind of answers all the needs of the, of the, of the users of buildings um, and indeed the clients of buildings. Yeah, I think a lot of people buy houses and actually don't know how they're made. So, you know, and again, if you, if you badge it in a way, this is just good quality housing. We know from Place Ladywell across the way there that you know, they reduce their heating bills down dramatically. It's those sorts of things people want to know about, not how it's sort of made and mm. how it's delivered. And when it comes to the cost of, of building, you know, how does it compare with traditional methods? I think in a way that's, ultimately that's vitally important. Mm. But the question to ask is what makes it optimum? You know, how are you going to, go in an optimum way from having a set of materials to a lovely finished product. And this is the way to achieve that. So this is, you know, relatively early stages. We haven't quite got the economies of scale. We haven't quite honed all the elements. But already, from what I understand, we are at least as good as traditional methods in terms of uh, cost effectiveness. And as we've said a lot already, you know, much better quality. I think the potential to come significantly down in cost is absolutely there. It's built into this approach. We've learned, I mean, we, we never stop learning, do we? We, we continue to learn. Um, one of the things that we learned, if we take a traditional design and try and then turn it into a, an off-site solution and, and, and apply our modular principles, it can end up being... You know, more expensive because it's not an efficient way to assemble. But if we start with a blank sheet of paper and bring in the team and, and set some of the guidance and the rules and then design from those first principles, we can compete, beat the price. Uh, so take massive chunks out of the program, beat the price with a better quality product. So, it, it, you know, that that's the learning. Sam, obviously it's great for us to talk about the show home that we're in, you know, that we've worked on with RSHP. But what's the bigger view? What's the view on the, the landscape at the moment? You were I, saying then you, you, we're not quite there yet with some of the economies of scale, but... It's yes, kind of- I mean, it's, it's not as though these methods are that widely used at the moment, but these approaches are applicable to all building types. So I'm dealing with government procurement in particular. So government is obviously really keen to get better quality, more cost-effective schools, hospitals, prisons, all these things. And we can really cross-fertilise the ideas and the demonstrations uh, from one sector to another. And indeed, actually, a lot of the parts of the kit, you know, the wall panels or the, the wiring or the plumbing, are transferable between different sectors. So, you know, we're not just talking about transforming housing, albeit that is vitally important, and we've got huge challenges around that. You know, this can be applied certainly across all building types, i.e. things with walls and roofs, but also the similar approaches can be applied to uh, linear infrastructure mm. and so forth. So we're really looking to bring together all these 
people, the stakeholders involved in, in these different sectors and get them all moving fast in this direction. So what are the challenges? I mean, it all sounds remarkably straightforward and we should all <laughs> embrace it and uh, it's the future, but come on, there must be some barriers, some challenges that we're facing. There's a lot of barriers. People are scared. It's This is disruptive. It's disruptive space. So the... Lots of people in the, in the decision-making are used to doing things a certain way. And a uh, traditional approach. And a traditional approach. Yeah. So even from the point of view of you design and then you bid and then you build. Well, this is different. This there is, there this was is a, a different massive decision. misconception about what produces the best project, the best, the best value project and yeah. the best outcome at the moment. Yeah. The whole system, as it were, is set, set up to competitively tender in layers. Um, and that introduces... With the policy going down at each Absolutely. level. Absolutely. It's yeah. waste and, and errors at all, at all levels. So everybody's got to realise that if we find a way to work together and with, the, with this system, we'll get better results. Enterprise-based procurement is one term that, that comes up. And there's this thing that, called Project 13 that the ICE has... Um, come up with. So getting together all players involved in a project and saying, right, we're all after the same goals. We're not all after trying to, mm. you know, put in changes and rip each other off for the bits that they they forgot to design or what have you. We're all after the same goals. And it's so much, so much more effective. This is prescriptive. Everything in here has been decided upon, has been chosen, and then you optimize around that. The as you say, the adversarial approach, the Delay decision making as long as you can, equal or approved, three tenders, lowest price. You don't get optimized process, you don't get optimized outcomes. It, this is different. And, and so, all of the procurement teams that are out there find this conversation a really difficult one. And so, you say, you know, what are some of the barriers? Well, procurement, absolutely, you've got to be resilient. It takes a long time to get to the conversations you want to have. I think. Patience is really a virtue in this. We've been, I mean, how long, Andrew? I've stopped counting in 15 years. <laughs> we think we're accelerating. We think that digital tools have certainly helped us change gears. We think bringing all of the manufacturing experience in-house with all of the engineering experts yeah. has also then helped us change gears. Well, we need to get some frameworks where we can just be chosen at the beginning for what we can do and then prove that, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we thought the public sector was going to be a rich, fertile ground with the social housing and the housing crisis. And the need for, yeah. But the procurement, they, they can't buy us as a product. They can only buy us as a designer and then we've got to bid as a contractor. And we're, we're addressing that very head-on now. I mean, Excellent. finally, you know, we have the sector deal for construction. We have £170 million. We have absolute buy-in from the five stroke six government departments that that are procuring buildings uh, there is a lot of work to do to kind of unpick the system as it were or, or remodel the system so you know talk about procurement we're now working particularly with the dfe to rewrite the design guidelines so that needs to work through and then that comes through into uh, schools procurement frameworks and so forth so gradually we're attacking each part of the barrier, let's say, you know, that we're attacking each of the barriers in turn and collectively will absolutely succeed. And we're obviously really happy to help. Uh, the sooner we get to value-based decision-making as opposed to 
lowest price competitive tender demonstration of value, the easier it will be. Yeah, so. I mean, for me, I mean, while I've, my, from my professional career with, with, with Skanska and, and, and Waits in the past, if you say it's going to be a little bit more expensive but it's worthwhile, you tend to switch people off. If you say it won't cost you a penny more but it's going to be a lot better, then you've engaged people. And then we start, you know, really going and saying, actually, it's going to cost you a lot less in due course. But you've got to pull people in by saying, I'm not after more of your money. Absolutely. And I mean, in the um, housing side, by making it so much quicker and by being in a position to offer a lump sum so much faster in the process as well, there are financial benefits that could come from removing bridging finance and all of that. So I think it's also important that people are looking at it holistically, not just at the capex, but actually looking at the overall development budgets as well. But as you said earlier, Sam, I mean, this is a mentality. This isn't just a solution for housing. This is a mentality for actually changing how we work across the whole infrastructure and building industry. And uh, we we feel we're piloting something we're really proud of, uh, super excited about it, but we're keeping it focused for our own benefit at the moment, but we know it has much broader application. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mentioned a couple of times that we're sat in the in, in the prototype here. I will put some links in the show notes to people so they can have a look at it. It is a, a two-bedroom apartment, pretty high finish. It's certainly a lot nicer than my first flat in London. It's better but, than my flat in <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about the, the process of actually constructing this building and the digital tools you mentioned earlier? I mean, without going into too much detail, but... What is the kind of process that, that it comes about? Yeah, we start off with a, a sketch and it turns into um, a digital model um, in Revit. And that model is then shared between ourselves and ACOM. And eventually that becomes the, the fabrication assembly overlay. So it's a sort of seamlessly gradual development using details that we developed up within the team and then modifications of those details depending on what the client would like. We're very accommodating, we don't tell me you have to have this or have to have that. We like to be very adaptable and adoptable and, and it's a build up with this very small team working extraordinarily effectively. And right from the outset, we've got the manufacturing inputs. We're looking at it from the point of view of logistics. I mean, obviously, if we're building a, a volume in the centre of uh, England, we've got to get it to the site. And so your logistics and lifting and, and street widths and all that sort of thing becomes a bit of a, an idea that we have to work through at early doors. So, you know, right from the outset, uh, pre-feasibility, we're, we're looking at logistics, some of the principles around the modules and, and how a site might be broken down right at the outset. So it, it, it's thinking with how do we finish right from the start, which is, which is really quite exciting. And it's very important to have the client right there at the time so we can get all his ERs in there and question what he'd like and what he'd done before and how we can make it even better, really. So our, we've got what we call a white box. We add those boxes together. The boxes give all of the performance, the acoustics, the fire, insulation, GU, all of that. It can be finished internally or externally with anything a client wants. And so there's a, there's a huge amount of flexibility in, in what we're offering. One of the other things as well, you know, we've developed this digital warehouse and we've got this governance whereby uh, working in BIM 360, working totally integrated, we're controlling any details which can be adopted on any project to make sure that what goes into that warehouse has been signed off as robust, as bulletproof. It's something that we're happy as 
two very big companies leaning in together, putting our brands on the line with us, that, that this is something which is going to work. So we're getting this quality assurance aspect in the way we're working, which yeah. is which is also you know, really exciting. Can you just very quickly just explain to me the, the actual process of building this yep. thing? So... How do the components fit in? Where is it constructed? How does it end up here? In the digital warehouse are the components that our supply chain produce, which then in, inform that. We then pass that stuff back to the supply chain and do a lot of pre-manufacturing for us. So our facility is basically assembly of their bits that they've done. And so both ends inform each other. So we get a very coordinated, very efficient process, which you can hand on to the client. And then in the assembly place, or factory if you want to call it, it's basically just put together in a very simple way, as it's all been preformed before. Yeah, I was looking at some of the, the plans and the instructions for this. You know, it, it's beautifully efficient, you know. It's uh, really, you can use semi-skilled people, uh, people with not necessarily years of experience of these kind of things, but putting these together in a really effective way. And surely some of the beauty of offsite means that you can have that, we well, say that you didn't particularly like the word factory, but the factory for, for simplicity, where the, the supply of workforce is. We're open to where that could be. And uh, we can have what we call a 2D factory somewhere, which is where you're doing your floors, walls, ceilings, and you can create your volume, possibly on the site where you're actually putting the homes. There is a flexibility. Honestly, the thinking means that the restriction for us is the quality of the personnel which are going to manage that assembly but we've designed an assembly we've designed an assembly line we've proven that and we can duplicate that when basically we can duplicate it anywhere we want what are the uses of this kind of construction i know we this is a, an amazing apartment but presumably this methodology could be applied to lots of different uses where can where do we hope and sam where's the, the big picture where do we think this is going to go well i think Anything with walls and roofs, mm. you can apply this approach to. Probably a little bit more of a, a little bit more complicated, slightly different if you're dealing with uh, infrastructure, uh, railways, roads, pipes and wires, and that sort of thing. But again, a lot of the same principles are transferable to this. So the digital library, the interoperability of it, of it all, parametric design probably comes into this quite a lot. We haven't sort of touched on that, but the ability to be flexible for different circumstances. Again, it's all part of this sort of efficient manufacturing approach to things. What about sustainability? I think we can do a podcast without mentioning sustainability. We, we did one earlier in the series around the circular economy and we touched a little bit on modular construction and the benefits of, of being able to track all of the components and, and reuse those components. How does that fit in? Amazing story with us. I mean, these are movable, these are reusable. We could take them back to the factory and reassemble them into something else if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Our selection of uh, products and, and because I mean, we're ordering out of our model and we've got so little waste. I mean, we're, we're looking at the waste compared to traditional. And what we do in the assembly is probably about 90% lower than what would happen on a traditional. Well, on the next project, there's no landfill, is there? No waste to landfill and, at all. And so we're, we are pushing towards a carbon neutral in terms of what, where we believe we can go with the right site for the right circumstances. And, you know, the cost in use, so it's, it's so well insulated, very little heating needed, energy bills. So when you look across the whole life cycle, 
this is getting ticks all over the place. So again, you know, why build in a traditional leaky way when you can build beautifully like this? It's massively compatible with addressing the uh, environmental challenges. You know, already natural performance is much better. You've got MVHR exchanging the heat out of the air as it's it's circulated. Uh, Very easy. It'll be very easy to integrate PVs into the system. It'll be very easy to develop sort of optimum solutions for uh, uh, battery storage within these buildings. And domestic hot water is the main thing. So sort of a ground source, air source type system for that would be great. Yeah, once you've got this kind of framework, this platform again, you can then start optimising these other elements and uh, really address the environmental challenges at scale. So, you know, obviously we are in London today and we're talking about pretty particularly looking at the the landscape in the UK, but what's it like across the rest of the world? Clearly, Acom are a global organisation. I know that people listen to this podcast all over the world. So where in the world are they getting it right? Where, where do we sit in the hierarchy of, of this technology? Hmm. Where are we getting it right? I think Europe has been doing fabulous homes for decades, absolutely beautiful, mm-hmm. and people pay a premium for them as well. We are particularly looking at places where, for with the housing view, where there's a housing crisis, uh, we're looking at where there's a, a mature supply chain so that we can get our pre-manufactured materials locally, and we're also looking at a place where the site labour cost is high because, to Sam's point, to get anything moving, to create that momentum, you've got to come in cost comparatively. It could be the best idea, but if it's going to cost a bit more, most clients are a bit stingy when it comes to, uh, yeah, I love the idea, but uh, no. So we've got to start where it's going to actually have a cost comparison. So we're looking at markets where labour is high. So America, Australia... Having a look at America at the moment, a developer... I look at everything that's happening in North America, which apparently includes England, and thought that we were the, the best fit for that, to work with them. So, you know, that's an acknowledgement that we must be doing something right. Something that I've been impressed by over, over the last few years is just how advanced the UK is. You know, there's quite a famous statistic <coughs> or graph that shows that uh, the UK construction industry is more or less the most productive in the world. So we're already coming from a surprisingly um, strong base the previous attempts to improve the construction industry have actually been rather more successful than people give them credit for. So I think, you know, people say the results of the Egan initiative were disappointing and, and Latham before that. But actually, one way or another, the UK is in a pretty strong position and the BIM mandate has helped uh, drive us down that path. So I think there's countries that are doing some great stuff at the moment, certainly in Scandinavia. I was with Skanska until a year or so ago. So some, some great examples in the Nordics, some very interesting examples from Japan. But actually, as a, a sort of holistic approach to developing and transforming construction industry, the UK is pretty much unmatched, I would say. So what does the future hold? Where's this all going? What's the next big thing? It really is. Uh, I mean, if you just keep it at the moment for us as ACOM, we've sketched out plans for 5,000 homes per annum, which would put us as one of the top tier. I don't want to say house builders because that's the wrong term, but in terms of providing um, house, homes, providers, yeah. house providers, that would put us up there. We think the industry is ripe for adoption of of the digital tools and and to really turn it into a much more productive industry and these are just examples in certain sectors but you know this can apply across 
every sector. Yeah, man manufacturing approaches are going to take off enormously within the construction industry for all the reasons we've, we've sort of touched on already. This is an unstoppable movement now. You know, what my programme is a four-year programme, got three years left to run. Really, my goal is to get to 20% of the market within the three years that we've got left, I've got left on, on my program. And then that's the kind of tipping point. I think that's where you will see, okay, it's inevitable now. We always say, why, why would you buy a car made in a field? Why do you buy a house that's done like that? I think that's probably an excellent place to, to end things for today. Sam, Andrew, Pete, thank you very much. Very interesting conversation. If you would like to find out more about modular construction and have a look at the pictures of some of, the, of our, our prototype here in Lewisham, then there will be links in the show notes. If you like the podcast, then of course, please rate it, uh, leave a review, and by all means, please tell your friends. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of Talking Infrastructure. Until then, goodbye.